In a groundbreaking procedure, a 57-year-old man with life-threatening heart disease received a heart from a genetically altered pig. Surgeons at the University of Maryland Medical Center performed the eight-hour operation, making it the first successful transplant of a pig's heart into a human being. And while much is still uncertain, what could this achievement mean for the future of organ transplantation? You're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and joining me to talk about this groundbreaking event is my fellow ReachMD host, Dr. Javed Butler. Dr. Butler, it's great to see you today and chat with you today. Could you just start by telling us a little bit about your background, your career, and what you do in cardiology? Yeah, so I'm a heart failure transplant cardiologist. So this is interesting to me, not only from general cardiology perspective, but from a transplant perspective as well. And in the earlier part of my career, I was working with a cardiac surgeon who did a lot of research in this field as well. So great to be at this point in the history. You know, it really was an amazing report in the news when it came out. I think we were all really surprised that there was a successful xenotransplantation. I remember in the past with chimpanzee transplants that was really not going very far and not working. The patient, he's a 57-year-old patient, David Bennett. He's doing well the first few days after the transplant. I know he's being closely monitored. What are the potential things that we need to worry about at this point? What could happen that's different from a human transplant? Yeah, so there's a lot of things, right? There were some genes and some other pathways that were modified in this genetically engineered animal. So that's great. That's all for sort of the hyperacute rejection and the short-term complications. But obviously, any uh, animal heart has a lot of proteins that are being expressed. So the long-term rejection and what it means, something to be uh, discovered. Now, remember, I mean, these animals are four-footed animals. Human beings are two-footed animals. So how does that adapt to the human physiology? Not only at rest, but also under stressful conditions and how does the afterload and all of those sort of circulatory physiology works, we will learn. Uh, we have been told that the cardiac growth determining gene was actually disabled uh, in this heart, but in this new environment, you know, how will that play out uh, in order to adapt to different human stresses? We don't know. We actually don't know how the uh, xeno, uh, immunology will look like, you know, will the rejection be the same for histopathology? Will it be different and how will we evaluate that? So, you know, certainly a a lot to learn, but so far, so good. Things are uh, going well. You know, in this day and age of COVID with viruses jumping from animals into humans, one of the concerns I wondered about using a xenotransplantation, using drugs that certainly suppress the immune system, could that bring out any infections that we don't know about from the animal transplant? Is there any concern that you're aware of about that? Yeah, 100%, right? So the the two big reasons for which uh, the xenotransplantation has been delayed and so much research has gone on, uh, one is obviously rejection, especially hyperacute rejection, but the second is zoonosis and transmission of animal viruses into human. So that has certainly been the concern, but that has been specifically addressed in this case. Now, the genes uh, that were disabled that encode for porcine endogenous retroviruses, how comprehensive it is, whether there are some other things that are missed, I mean, we will learn. But we are at least told that the, the pig genes that encode for porcine endogenous retroviruses uh, were disabled as part of this genetically modified pig heart. For those just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. 
I'm Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with fellow ReachMD host, Dr. Javed Butler, about the first successful transplant of a pig's heart into a human being, which was conducted by the team at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Dr. Butler, I wanted to ask you some questions about some of the genetic alterations. I understand that there were some knockout alterations, which I guess were trying to get rid of carbohydrates that would cause um, rejection, uh, but also there were some um, uh, human um, genes that were uh, put into the transplant. Uh, do you know a little bit more about what was actually done? Not everything, at least to my knowledge, has been disclosed, but there are sort of four layers of modification that has been done for this to be successful. So the first is something that you already sort of uh, mentioned, and which is that there are three major carbohydrates that uh, are supposed to be the main reasons for hyperacute rejection. And so this is a triple gene knockout animal model, where those three carbohydrates uh, are uh, silent. So the chances of hyperacute rejection uh, goes down. Then the second issue is complement and coagulation pathways, right? So then you can have a lot of uh, thrombotic pathways that can get uh, activated, and then you can have thrombotic uh, microangiopathy. So with the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, technique, uh, that has also been uh, silenced. So the complement system and the thromboregulation pathways have been silenced uh, with the use of the CRISPR uh, technique. The third issue is the zoonosis transmission and uh, uh, infection issue. And we talked about disabling the pig genes encoding for porcine uh, endogenous retroviruses. And then the fourth uh, is uh, how to manage these patients post-transplantation. So generally speaking, we only use sort of T and B cell uh, immunosuppression. Uh, but again, uh, from what we have heard is that there is a uh, anti-CD40 monoclonal antibody that has been added to the regimen of the typical T and B cell immunosuppression as well. Uh, to maintain uh, uh, long-term tolerance and quiescence of the risk of rejection. So this is sort of a four-step process uh, to make this thing successful, and that's, uh, that's where we are. I understand that last year was a pretty much a record year for heart transplants. There were over 3,800 heart transplants in, in the country that were done uh, last year, which is a remarkable achievement. But when you think of 3,800 transplants, and I think of all the patients Right now in my hospital with advanced heart failure, this is only really the, the, the tip of the bucket, I think. Do you think this will make an impact that we'll be able to get many more patients treated instead of just waiting and waiting on a list for a transplant? So on one hand, you're absolutely correct that the number of people with advanced heart failure, the number of people who die awaiting transplantation, the number of times that we are forced in a uh, situation where we take less than uh, ideal donor just because the patient is really not doing well, will this sort of revolutionize uh, all of that? Well, so first, we have to see whether the, the, the survival of the organ, transplanted organ, rivals that of uh, routine usual transplantation. So we don't know that. Uh, I would say that even if it is better to arrivals the suboptimal donors even that is a big advance but if it rivals the usual donors that we use then you can sort of farm these animals specifically for the purposes of uh, transplantation i'm sure that there are uh, ethical concerns about sort of farming animals for the need for transplantation and i'm sure that some of our ethics colleagues uh, have a lot of global views on that 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 i don't totally understand but then the second thing is that if we can be successful in that, can we be successful in other organ transplantations? And can we have 
xeno-renal transplantation and xeno-liver transplantation? And are we also now entering into an era uh, where uh, at least the living donor transplantation will just go away because living donor kidney, living donor liver, you know, has a lot of morbidity and risk for the donor organs as well. So at least if that can go away, but will the wait time shrink? Uh, and will a lot of this just become sort of uh, uh, genetically farmed animals that are transplanted? Uh, so we are going into a whole new world with this uh, transplant. And I think it's going to be a lot more than just coming up with farms that have these animals. I mean, these were um, genetically modified animals. I'm sure this was a unbelievable undertaking just to get these uh, 10 genes modified. And who knows, it might be 20 genes, it might be 50 genes we have to modify before, you know, we'll get a transplant that can be viable. So it seems to me we have to set up a whole system where this technology can be uh, successfully done just think about it that first you have to study which are the major determinants of uh, hyperacute rejection, what are the major determinants of infection transmission, of complement, of thrombosis, then develop a way where you can successfully modify the pig heart so that these things are reliably and to an adequate degree uh, uh, suppressed. And then now we are at the first experiment, but we'll learn a lot because uh, even in the most successful uh, manner, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, we don't know how many other proteins that the body will react against and, and we will learn all that. So, uh, so, so the process will continue to evolve and sort of the next generation of these genetically modified animals will be a whole lot more complicated, not that this is not complicated enough. But I will still say 20 years down the road, what a simple balloon angioplasty did and, and look where we are right now. So we, we, we'll figure all this out. The, the arc of human success will just continue to, to, to move forward. Well, this has been a fascinating look into the first successful transplant surgery using a genetically altered pig heart. And I'm sure there'll be much more to discuss about this in the future. But for now, I want to thank my fellow ReachMD host, Dr. Javed Butler, for joining me today. Dr. Butler, it was really great speaking to you about this today. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. For ReachMD, I'm Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash heartmatters, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.